The bottom line is, as Paul is talking about a true church, he's talking about a church that loves one another. And I want us to look at these few verses together in their context. So we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're in verse 9. About brotherly love. You don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. And so he talks about true church has a place of support. And when I think of church and when I think of the value of church in my life and I think of how that plays out every day in my life, this is the place I come to for support. It's in our mutual relationships that we have support. We can go back through and look at things that we've examined. Look at the call of holiness. Look at the the call to live a life that is pure and outside of the context of a secular or sexualized culture and live with that sense of purity, that sense of godliness. And that is easier when you're doing that with friends. It is easier and more effective when you're doing it with people who are in community, who share struggles and rejoice and celebrate victories. You think in terms of division and conflict, when a place is truly in love with the Lord, truly in love with God, truly in that relationship, and then we begin to let that change and morph us into a loving people, it's a place we get support. Because we go through all types of difficulties. We have injuries, illnesses, relationship problems, work problems, difficulties. And again, in the context of a group that loves one another, cares for one another, suffers together with one another, celebrates together with one another, honors one another, that love becomes supportive. And that's what he describes, that's what he saw in Thessalonica. The natural instinctive response to becoming a follower of Jesus, in Paul's opinion, was to simply love one another. That love in our church is expressed by this. He doesn't even see a need to address the issue. He's just reminding them that you've learned from God, you have been taught from God to love one another. The Christian church, biblically speaking, should be the most loving and caring and supportive place on all of creation. Because we live from the example of Christ who has given everything for us. We're here in the middle of the Easter season and celebrating everything about Easter and the power of the resurrection. All of which had one singular purpose. And that was to demonstrate God's love. While we were still sinners, the scripture says, Christ died for us. And so, yes, we are instinctively, naturally taught. When we make that decision to acknowledge, yes, I'm a sinner, I have made bad choices, and my life has been been disrupted and broken to this point, but I am willing to acknowledge my pain and my mistakes, and I'm willing to seek out the forgiveness of God, and I am willing to believe and to affirm that Jesus is the means by which I can be forgiven, that his death 
The, the power, the transformational power of his death on the cross gives me the ability to find forgiveness and to be a new person, a new creation, and the resurrection gives me the power to live that out. It's all because God loved us more than we ever loved him, and he wants us to know him and be in relationship. So the immediate response of a new believer is to love the people in their life and to love the people in their church. And so Paul says, I don't even really need to tell you or teach you. You already understand this. The very nature of God is now infused and living out through your life. And you naturally, instinctually, spiritually love one another and care for one another. In fact, I love this part. Paul bookends this entire section with the fact that the love of the church is impacting the community. He says, this is obvious. You're doing this throughout the entire region of Macedonia. And you go to the back of your Bibles. I don't know where it is digitally. And you look at that map of Asia and you look at the place where Thessalonica is. That whole Greek region of the Roman Empire was being influenced by this little church in Thessalonica because they loved one another. They were validating the life and death and resurrection of Christ in their relationship, in their community. So it was a natural place to find support. It was a natural place to connect and belong and get that strength, get the teaching, get the encouragement, get the worship, have these experiences in a living and dynamic and most importantly, a loving community. And Paul was thrilled. He was proud of the church for doing that impacting its entire region with the hope that's found in Jesus out of the love they have for one another and that support that begins to take place. And then Paul, ever practical, dives into these four different things that he just kind of wants them to focus. It's sort of a tune-up. These aren't major corrections for a church, but it's kind of a tune-up. If you're loving one another, then these areas may need attention. And if you've been in church any length of time, You've experienced some of these issues. He says, first, as we live out this love in our daily lives, first understand and comprehend, grasp. Love grows and it excels. Paul's whole point is mentioned in verse 10, in the middle of verse 10 when he says, but we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. Love grows and it excels. You never reach a peak. This is something you practice but never master. This is something you work at but never fully accomplish. And so that we stay in a position of perpetually working on it. We understand this in basic relationships. If you're in a marriage relationship, you understand it. Nobody's marriage relationship is a straight line graph going towards some upward destination of accomplishment. It is ups and downs and loops and circles and upside downs and sometimes off the map. It's a process. But the reason at weddings, Christian weddings, when we quote scripture at the end and say what God has put together, let no man separate, is because we know this process is a process that is committed to from this point on. Paul says this is exactly how the church is supposed to be. We are to continue to love. And even when we're doing a great job at loving, we are to continue to work at it. 
Because community is difficult. It is hard to preserve community. It is hard to expand community. In a, in a church like ours, in a region that's rapidly growing and we have new faces every week, you may feel that. I get that question a lot. Well, I'm not sure if I want to talk to somebody because I don't know if they've been a long-term member or if, or if they're just, this is their first time because I don't recognize them. Well, just keep loving. The long-time member needs love and the person who's here for the very first time or the person who's on live stream for the first time, they need love. Love grows and excels. This is something we work at. This is not something we somehow think we've mastered and suddenly put it aside. In fact, this topic has come up over and over again in the entire time we've been studying 1 Thessalonians, partially because Paul's so proud of the church at Thessalonica. And partially because he knows if this is going to work, we're going to have to keep working at it. Just decide right now, decide in this moment that our participation in church means that we will continue to work at loving one another. We will grow in our love. We will gain depth in our love. We will excel at our love and we will learn how to love new people. Love grows and it excels. But love also in a very practical way maintains peace. His phrase to seek to lead a quiet life. It's a phrase describing and encouraging serenity. I, don't, I want to be real careful how I say this. This can be tough for churches. The one unifying factor of a church is the fact that we know Jesus. But apart from knowing Jesus, we are typically the most diverse organizations just about every type of vocation is expressed in church community. In many times and in many places, and has been my experience over the years, every type of ethnic or racial background can be expressed in the church community. Every type of perspective and mindset, references to tenure of faith in certain denominations or in certain faith groups happens a lot in church. We're, we're a diverse group. And while there is an immense beauty about that diversity, there is at times the immense potential for conflict because we're all different. I mean, in our region, we went to different universities and we're very proud of that. And occasionally somebody gets their feelings hurt because somebody will make a comment from the platform about a certain university. And that becomes a line of delineation for us. Or we criticize something because in my mind, maybe I'm thinking in terms of something and I've decided this is the best way to go. And we can apply this to any area. I'm thinking mostly in terms of guys, we tend to apply it to, to vehicles and, and our material possessions. This brand's better than that brand. This golf club's better than that golf club. This gun maker's better than this gun maker. I mean, we tend to just always delineate. I mean, that's why we put all the stickers on the back of our cars, right? Because we want everybody to know I'm affiliated with this company. Even though we don't know the company, it's not a privately traded company, so you cannot literally be affiliated with it. We become prideful about the things that we preference. Ladies, I don't mean to leave you in the dark. I just don't know as closely and as intimately the things that you guys have preferences about. But I have a relatively high level of sense that you guys can pick those areas. 
and we can have conflict over this. Paul says, in the context, when we think of the church as a place where I get support, let's live at peace. We're not going to differentiate on those things because at the end of time, at the end of things, when I am in the presence of Jesus, I doubt seriously whichever company I thought was the best at whatever thing I thought was the best or whatever sports team was the best or whatever sport I thought was the best, that probably isn't going to be a topic of conversation. It's going to be my relationship with Jesus and then my relationship with those out of that relationship. What I did for the least of these, how I lived out, seek to maintain peace. And we have to do this all the time because we're still human. God didn't change us into some type of non-human superhero. We're still human, we still sin, we still struggle, but we maintain the peace in that relationship so that we can get the support we need. We maintain that peace. We seek to live this quiet life. And this one may sting a little bit, but I just need to tell you it's in the context of how a loving community protects one another. Mind your own business. (laughs) Wow, apparently everybody already has that one figured out. Mind your own business. It doesn't mean you don't share things. Already, Livestream has shared issues that they're dealing with, some health issues and things, and we've had the opportunity on the hosting to respond back and say, hey, you know, we're sorry to hear that, but we're praying for you, and we are. We, you know, those of us hosting stopped, paused, and literally prayed for individuals that are sick. It, this is, minding your own business doesn't mean I don't share. It doesn't mean that I don't embrace authenticity. I don't, it doesn't mean I don't embrace a sense of transparency. But it means I don't attempt to work out or somehow intervene immediately in somebody else's business or somebody else's activities. I don't, I don't need to meddle. In Scripture, it tells us not to meddle in other people's activities. It, it is a sense of understanding if we love one another, then we will protect one another. Look again at the example. Go back to verse 9 for just a minute. These people were taught by God how to love one another. There is not a thing I don't feel free to share with God. And the things that I don't want to share with God, which are typically my sins, those things I may be a little hesitant to express, the irony is we're taught over and over and over again in Scripture that God already knows those things. The things I want to shelter and hide and seclude and then keep secret, God already knows because he knows every part of me. Knowing God is a relationship of transparencies and authenticity, and he's not hiding anything about himself. To the church in Rome, Paul writes and says, look, guys, all you have to do is look at your surrounding, look at your environment, see the nature of creation itself, and you can see the immensity and the majesty and the love of God. I mean, we know that in Texas. This is a beautiful time of year in Texas to get out of the city and go into the country. 
I was coming back from, from my buddy's ranch this past week and, and, you know, just everywhere you look, you know, there's a fields full of those, those yellow ones. I think they're called black-eyed Susie or, I don't know, Susie got in some kind of trouble and it resulted in a yellow flower. You know, there's blue bonnets and there's Indian paintbrush and there's, there's buttercups and wine cups, not the kind you drink, the kind you look at. Um, you know, it's just beautiful, the, the diversity of it and everything. Who did God do that for? He did it for Texans because he loves Texans. I mean, even country western understands that at a very base level. God's love is evident everywhere. So it's not a call to lacking authenticity or an unauthentic life or a non-transparent life. We are able to share, but we share in the context of love and we don't get in and dive in and then somehow attempt to ruin or meddle in somebody else's life. We protect one another. That's why we can share. That's why we can share prayer requests. And that's why we can talk about our struggles. And that's why we can get in small groups and, and have those conversations. Because love that is like God's is a love that protects one another. And it's a love that quite honestly and quite simply carries its own weight. The last phrase in verse 11 is to work and work with your own hands as he had instructed them earlier, probably when he was there in person. We don't have a reference to it. Now, now it's not just that Paul's saying, okay, look, manual labor's the best, because that goes back to that preference thing again. And our skills are all different. We didn't even talk about diversity of skills. Some of us talk. Some of us research. Some of us can do all kinds of different things. And yet in the context of Christian love, we're able to live in peace and support and help with one another. Now, Paul's not just simply saying manual labor is a great thing, even if it is a great thing. Paul is saying that there is a sense in which we carry our weight. In fact, he'll say in the very next verse that our love is demonstrated to the community when we carry our own weight. When there is a sense of independence for the church so that it's not dependent upon the community it needs to reach. And it's not dependent upon the community it needs to speak truth to because we don't want to hold back truth because we feel obligated to someone else. And we don't do that. Because we are called to bring the message of God. We are called to speak and share and teach the word of God, whether it's offensive or not. But the loving atmosphere allows us to do that because we carry our own weight. Because we're not dependent on anyone else. And in this environment, we can love one another, we can support one another when we endeavor to do that. To carry my own weight even within the context of the church. I'm not going to do one of those stereotypic sort of pastor things where I talk about how everyone should be giving and how everyone should be volunteering because I'm, I'm convinced the vast majority of you in-house or on live stream, you are aware and you know that everyone should do those things. Scripture teaches that. But a healthy church does carry its own weight. A healthy church has everybody participating and everybody helping and that is the best way to do that because one or two people can't be available for every task and for every need. But if the entire environment of the church is focused on this kind of love and support and strength, then all needs are met at all times. 
The illustration the scripture uses is that we're like the complex human body that has all these moving parts and all these functioning areas. And in these functioning areas, when they all are at work and when they're all moving, the body operates effectively and efficiently. But if any one piece goes out of alignment or any one piece gets broken, the entire body feels the pain of it. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying work, work with our hands, be involved, be a part so that no one is dependent on anyone else and the love isn't damaged or wounded because one part's broken. We keep our health and we stay strong. Love as we live it out in our daily lives then impacts the whole community. He says in verse 12 that our behavior and our proper behavior in the presence of outsiders is not dependent on anyone and you carry that back to the influence of the whole region of Macedonia. That's what that church was doing. They were known in their community as that loving and supportive and encouraging church. I want both sides of this coin, so to speak. I want the call to holiness we looked at last week to be evident and clear and distinct in the life of our church. I want people to know we're a godly church, that we pray, we study the scripture, we're endeavoring to live our lives in the reflection and image of Christ. I want us to be a holy place. But I honestly want us to be the friendliest place. Literally the friendliest place. I would love for people when they're grabbing coffee at one of our coffee shops to say, do you know those people at First Baptist Church, there's something whack about them. They are all nice. I want somebody to check out a Kroger or out of H-E-B and I want them to, to, to be able to talk to that clerk and say, hey, you know what? Those people at First Baptist Church, they're, they're in your face. Not in a, not minding your own business, but in a sense of we're there to pray for you. Somebody talks to a friend and says, hey, I'm going through a hard time. I think I just need some help. I'm, I'm discouraged. I just need some encouragement. And somebody says, hey, you know what? Those people at First Baptist Church, they are so friendly and so loving. The messages can be boring at times, but go to church just because it'll be fun. And everybody's nice. It's the one place you can go in the community where everybody's happy to see you. Whether you've ever been there before or not whether you've been there 50 years or whether you've been there 50 minutes. I want that. I want both sides of that coin. Let's be a holy people and let's be a loving people. And truthfully, I know, like Paul says, you're already there. So this isn't a corrective measure. This is just an encouragement. Let's keep doing this. Let's be this people. Let's overwhelm our community, our workplace, our school with the love of God. After all, we know him personally. We can introduce anybody to him because he's our closest friend. And he wants to be their friend as well.